thousands of sparkling lights and electro-synthomagnetic musical sounds. The Main Street Electrical Marine. Mama don't whoop, little beaver. Mama don't pound. The spirit of Epcot you've experienced today has guided the design of the entire 28,000 acres of the Walt Disney World Resort. It is I, Captain Hook. I'll show you what adventure really looks like. Let's say hello, boys. Oh, dear. Fire to the port. Every legend has a beginning. Every story has a hero. Every podcast has a host. Lord Disney. Yes, voice master. Rise. Lou Mangello presents the WDW Radio Podcast. Your Walt Disney World Information Station. Coming soon to a theater near you. Some restrictions apply. Void where prohibited. W Radio. Your Information Station. Welcome back to the WDW Radio Show. This is episode 15 for the week of May 20th, 2007. I'm your host, Lou Mangello. And on this week's show, it's going to be slightly different, as I had to produce the entire show by Wednesday of this week, as I'm leaving for Walt Disney World on Thursday. So, I'm going to skip the news and rumors just for this week, as not much really has happened since I've last recorded, but I promise I will pick it up again next week as usual. I do have a couple of fun segments this week that I think you're really going to enjoy. First, I'm joined by two Disney fans who share a love of Star Wars as well, Matt Hotchberg and Jonathan Dichter who help discuss the upcoming Star Wars weekends at the Disney MGM Studios. We'll talk about the special events, celebrities, characters, and merchandise, as well as planning for the weekend and tips for making the most out of the event. Listener Jared Mathis was able to obtain an exclusive interview with Don Dorsey, creator of such musical events in Walt Disney World as the Main Street Electrical Parade and Illuminations Reflections of Earth. Don shares wonderful stories and background of his work with Disney in the parks and lots of great information about many of the shows he created. I'm also going to call from Margaret Tinkerbell Carey, who's going to be on board the Disney Magic with me this November for our trivia cruise on the high seas. She's going to come on to invite you to come aboard and talk about some of the events she has planned for the cruise and more. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WDW Radio Show. As if you didn't think I was enough of a geek, uh, between my Disney obsession, my incessant ramblings about relative obscurities in and around Walt Disney World theme parks and so on, well, 
The fun's not over yet because I'm a Star Wars fan as well, and I'm not the only one. In fact, I've brought along two other Disney slash Star Wars dorks to come on and talk about an event that turns the Disney MGM Studios into a mecca for guys and girls like us from all over the world, Star Wars Weekend. So I welcome back Uber Geek and one-time co-host Matt Five Minutes Hotchberg, as in the WDW radio show is the only out for <laughs> outlet for him to geek out without the sounds of crickets chirping and old men groaning. And Jonathan, I'm going to get on every Disney podcast before I die, Dictor. <laughs> Welcome, guys. Well, I can't believe I lost that bet, but I'm a man of my word, and I'm showing up here as promised. <laughs> uh, Muppets. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's it for us today. If you want to read our <laughs> old episodes or click read our show notes. <laughs> All right. Oh, I, 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 so infringing on yeah. this, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let, let's get right into this. Um, it, it's been 30 years, actually, exactly, since Star Wars were, was released and my downward spiral really into be, being able to quote the movie word for word. So it's really just a matter of days until Star Wars weekend starts over at the studios. Uh, it's been going on since 1997. It's been home to this month-long celebration of all the films in the series and includes celebrity appearances and trivia contests and ride-a-thons and street parties and, you know, Hotchberg autograph sessions and more. So since, uh, since Matt, you, you are... <laughs> Since you are the MGM guy, at least until you get the cease and desist letter from the Metro, Gold, Metro Goldwyn Mayer Company, and Jonathan D- Dichter, you are a fanboy. Let's talk about the weekend, planning for it, and how to get the most of it. And what I thought we'd do is we'd kind of break it down into four basic elements, um, because I think that's how the best way to do it. it. It really involves around the special events during those weekends, meeting the celebrities, seeing the characters, and buying all of the merchandise. So, Matt, I will let you go ahead and... Uh, and pick your poison. Well, Star Wars Weekends is a really interesting event. It's probably the, I would definitely say, the best event of all the special events that goes on in the studios between ESPN The Weekend, Super Soap Weekend, and anything. Right, they'll probably have a Pirates Weekend pretty soon, I'm sure. <laughs> you know, because that idea is definitely not getting old at all. I mean, come on, we could always have more Pirates. Um, it's a really well, well-planned out event. And really, you know, when we're talking about the four things you mentioned, Lou, you got to understand, Star Wars Weekends occurs on three days every weekend, and it occurs on three days for a reason. Um, unlike other events, you really are going to be hard-pressed to be able to fit it all in in one day. A lot of people go and say, okay, well, I'm going for Star Wars Weekends. I'll go on Saturday, and that's it. And if you do that, although technically feasible, it's really not plausible. I mean, it's just not going to happen. It's very difficult to get a lot of things in, and we'll talk about a little bit more in it but there's so much to plan so much to do and so much to see that it's just you're ideally you're going to spend all three days at star wars weekends although realistically i think two days is a is a much easier to to grasp uh time frame on what you can in terms of accomplishing everything and seeing everything that you want to do and just just a quick mention this year they run uh all through june it's the four weekends in june june 1st through june 24th friday saturdays and sundays that's right. The past couple of years, Lou, it's been uh, in mid-May through mid-June, and this is this is the first time, in fact, that it's left that schedule since 2001. Um, and the reason for the change was because over in California, George Lucas, in his infinite wisdom, decided to have a uh, a celebration event, which is uh, a Star Wars crazy event that occurs. Uh, what does it occur annually, semi, biannually? I think it's like, annually. 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 Yeah. Yeah, last time it was in Indianapolis, I believe. <laughs> and you pretend that you and you pretend that you don't go, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> My mom could drive me out there. Yeah. 
Um, so, uh, yeah. so when, you go visit, have... when you go visit your girlfriend in Canada, yeah, we know. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I'm this close to getting Princess Leia, okay? This close. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, this, uh, the celebration event is going on in in, mid, in May this year over in Los Angeles, and evidently they can't occur in the same time frame, so they pushed them back to June. Yeah, because so there, were, there all- were years that there were six weekends it was going off. Oh, yeah. I mean, they used to have, uh, you know, it's a great point, Lou. In 2005, they had in six weekends. In 2004, I think they had about five weekends. And 2006, they just kept it to four. But this this change in dates, I mean, it doesn't sit well with me. I like those May dates. Plus, June is just a more crowded time of the year. And if we had some kind of a, you know, touring plan guru, he could tell you more about that. But we don't. So all we can tell you is, I mean, Luke can probably sputter out some stats from, you know. Oh, man. Oh, we love you. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, go ahead, Luke. I was say, so let's talk about um, some of the things. Let's talk about you know the different elements that make up the Star Wars weekends. How about we'll, we'll go with the celebrities first? All the different celebrities, the Star Wars uh, people that come. Yeah, well, let's let's definitely keep this moving, Luke, because you know your show's short and concise. <laughs> I'm on a mission. I am on a mission to, to keep this five hours or less. Yes, <laughs> you can do it. I'm trying. You see that I'm trying. <laughs> uh, so, where do you want to start with celebrities? Sure. Uh, celebrities, you know, and Jonathan, uh, I don't want to, you know, steal the thunder here. And Jonathan just, you know, pulled a newel and just sat in on the show and said nothing. Um, <laughs> if you, I mean, jump in here when, you know, if you got something. Um, I would Muppets. say that, you know, Muppets, <laughs> there you go, well said. Uh, you know, with, with celebrities, it varies from weekend to weekend. There's uh, each weekend you have a different uh, set of celebrities with one uh, host. This is the second year in a row they're doing a host. Uh, the host this year is going to be uh, the guy who played uh, none other than uh, I'm trying to figure uh, Captain um, oh man I can't think of his I'm blanking out on his name here uh, Captain Captain Typho oh my god I was you know what you know what it was I was trying to pre- get preparing myself to pronounce his last name because <laughs> there's about 30 vowels and it. it's Jay Lagaya is how you pronounce it he's the host this year last year it was actually Warwick Davis who hosted he was of course best known as Wicked the Ewok uh, um, and he did a really great job last year. If you had a chance to go to any of the weekends, you probably saw him. He did a really good job. But Warwick's actually uh, filming uh, the Prince of, Prince Caspian, the second in Disney's uh, Chronicles of Narnia series, and uh, he's got the role of a, believe it or not, a dwarf. Who would thunk it? Him <laughs> <laughs> oh. a dwarf. I never saw that coming. So he can't be Wait taking it this year. You mean Warwick Davis, the guy that played Willow? Yes. Warwick oh. Davis, the guy that's in Harry Potter. Yes. The guy who's in the Leprechaun. <laughs> Thank you, IMDb. <laughs> Nerd alert. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The weekend, the first weekend is like short guys' weekend because it's it's Warwick Davis, Kenny Baker, and well, I'm not going to make it, but otherwise, I, I'd fit in there. Lou <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>, Manjo, <laughs> that'd be great. Oh, please, someone Photoshop that, please. Hang on, I'm on it right now. <laughs> there you go, Jonathan. Kenny Baker, the world's most famous trash can. <laughs> Right. <laughs> Kenny Baker was R2-D2 for you non-over-geeks like us. <laughs> or now, actually, all across the country, a very famous mailbox. Yeah. Yes, I saw, I saw this in New York. Yeah, the, 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 I thought that was really uh, well done. But anyway, uh, you know, Lou, I don't, I don't know about you guys, or Jonathan, I don't know about you guys. I think the best celebrity duo is definitely in Weekend 2. You've got Ray Park, who played Darth Maul, and he's also an X-Men. He was a uh, Toad in X-Men toad. 1. Yeah. Um, and you've also got Daniel Logan, who played young Anakin Skywalker. Uh, or Boba and, Fett, one of the two. 
<laughs> or young. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. That's mgmstudios.org. <laughs> ah, someone's still getting fired. <laughs> That's what you get for having Len Tessa do your research for you. No, uh, you no, no, we love you. <laughs> um, but yes, uh, Ray Park is really high. He's new this year. Uh, Daniel Logan has been back last year. But Ray Park, really, I, there's a lot of buzz around him. He's supposed to be very interesting. He, you know, he can karate kick you in the face if, if need be. But uh, he's supposed to, I, I, would, I wish I was going for Weekend too, just simply to see uh, Ray Park. I think he's a, quite an interesting character. Rumor yeah. has it for that entire weekend, because of Ray's martial arts abilities, they are keeping Tigger out of the park. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right, Weekend 3 is Jeremy Bullock. He played Boba, the, the big Boba Fett in Episode 4, 5, and 6, and Peter Mayhew, who was Chewbacca. Weekend 4 has Anthony Daniels, who's C-3PO, in all the movies, and Bonnie Piesi, who was uh, young Baru Lars in episode two or three. So, Matt, tell us, for people who have never been there before, how you go about getting to meet these guys, getting to get autographs, because there's actually a ticketing system that you have to go through. Yeah, I mean, they, back in the day, they used to do standby tickets where you would just show up in a line, and it was just chaos. And now, it's still chaos, but it's a little bit more controlled. Uh, what you do is you uh, go get a fast pass, and there's little fast pass distribution centers uh, right by Indiana Jones. A lot of stuff actually goes on over there. Um, it's in, and when I say Indiana Jones, it's really across from uh, Star, uh, Sounds Dangerous. So that's probably the area you want to go to. And again, uh, you go there, you'll get a fast pass. In the past, there's been three autograph sessions per day. So you'll have an opportunity to, in theory, see each person at least once or double up on somebody. And what you do is you go there, just like, you know, a fast pass for any other attraction. You go there, put your ticket in, and you get a fast pass. Now, the other thing is, unlike regular fast pass, you know, uh, what a, a great strategy if you go to, you know, say Tower of Terror and your rock and roll coaster is right there. So, you know, you hand off your tickets to somebody in line and, you know, everyone, one person grabs the whole group's tickets and gets, you know, fast passes for Tower while everyone waits in line for coaster. Well, here you can't do that. They make you... You have to present the body, really. You know, produce the body. If you were, you know, Lou Mangiello in uh, Law and Order type <laughs> of sense here. Um, so you, you, that's if you're planning that, it's not going to fly. You're all going to have to show up there because it's so highly contested to get these fast pass tickets. So do you have to get a, a fast pass and you say, okay, I want a fast pass for Boba Fett. I want a fast pass for Chewbacca, or you just get a fast pass for the autograph it's- session. Yeah, it's just one per session. So it's just just like you know, you ticket in a fast pass for in a regular attraction, you only have one. If you get one for say, uh, you know, Peter Mayhew, then for session one, you're locked out of session one for anyone else. Hmm. So you have the opportunity. You got to pick uh, wisely. As uh, no. Here's my question. This this might be a Len Testa question, but if I have a fast pass from last year's Star Wars weekends, can <laughs> I use it this year? Ah, uh, you see, that would be brilliant. <laughs> Uh, well, you know, one of the things we have to mention, Lou, is of all the tracks that you have, because there, there, are, there, are the, there's well, three tracks in the character. The characters are a little bit easier to get to, but merchandise, uh, meeting the celebrities, and doing the events, you really have to prioritize. And if you want to do something like, if the celebrities are your priority, you need to get there absolutely positively as soon as the park opens. I'm not talking like getting there at 11 a.m. or stopping by after lunch. You will not find any tickets. You have to get there in the morning, and you have to get these things out of the way. So again, if you if you're interested in meeting these characters, uh, rather celebrities, you need to get your fast pass ticket right when the park opens. And uh, if you're going on the Fridays when that's extra magic hours, although no Star Wars weekend events are 
operating, so there's no special events and you can't get fast pass tickets. You do have a distinct advantage because you'll be you'll be in the park already, and you'll as soon as nine o'clock you know hits, you can just go right over there and get your tickets. You'll have a leg up on everybody else trying to come in from outside. Well, there's the other advantage to getting to the park very early too is you get to see the storm, the stormtroopers at the um, at, at the entrance. And I know you've you've been ridiculed on your own show about this, but but tell everybody what what happens with the stormtroopers before the park opens. Well, first of all, I should mention the reason I'm talking about it on this show, Lou, is because I I attempted to do a show about it. I was ridiculed <laughs> with snoring sounds and, you know, sound effects in the background, the wrong sound effects from Star Trek. That people, you know, <laughs> come on, Jonathan. I mean, there's nothing worse than confusing Star Wars with Star Trek, right? Uh, absolutely. I mean, the... the it, it's heresy. The person that actually knows the difference between a torpedo and a photon torpedo. Uh, just... <laughs> Wait a minute. Was that out loud? <laughs> you can you can edit that, right? Oh, there'll be plenty of editing on this show. No worry. <laughs> How did I get married? I don't. <laughs> well, uh, you know, we were mentioning the, the stormtroopers again, Lou, on the top, and they they come out at about twenty to thirty minutes before the park opens. And really, this is one of the best events in Star Wars weekends. And it doesn't actually even. I mean, you technically don't even have to go to the park. You just stand outside and watch it. And it's really a lot of fun. What happens is two stormtroopers come up on the roof of the entrance of the studios right above the ticket uh, entrances and you go over there and they do this little routine that they do every year I won't wreck it for people it's, it's a lot of fun if you haven't seen it I highly recommend you getting there early just to see it if you're not going or you have you know you keep your soul in a box and don't you know like don't mind getting spoilers. I have a video of it on my uh, on my Star Wars Weekend site. And you can take a look at it over there. Yeah, I'll link over to uh, to the MGMstudios.org site. But I just when you were saying that, I just remember, I remember uh, Newell and Scopa just being like, well, "What's so funny about the stormtroopers? I don't get it. What do they do that's so funny?" The stormtroopers are by and f- I mean, Jonathan, you got you got to back me up on this one. The stormtroopers are just the highlight of the event. Well, uh, I've I've seen the video, but having be like being like Lou and having never actually attended Star Wars weekends, just <gasps> being the token Star Wars voice geek guy who's here. Um, I guess Lou doesn't pay the bills that much. Huh? Uh, yeah, sure, sure. They, they the highlight, absolutely. <laughs> no matter, I'm, uh, I know other people do. do. Do you go dressed up? You could be honest. This this is this is you know. I would no, I do not get dressed up. I have never gotten dressed up. But you want to deep 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 down you want to, don't you? Dude, who doesn't want to don a robe and go get that FX uh, uh, lightsaber? I have two. I have two of them. (laughs) I do. Matt, who who are you kidding, man? I've seen that picture of you with the two Danishes strapped to your head, man. I've seen it. That I'll make a deal sense. with you, Matt. I'll meet you down there that weekend. You come dressed up, and I get, i promise you I'll come dressed up, too. <laughs> right? <laughs> be a body double for uh, Warwick Davis. Oh, that's not right. <laughs> just harsh. Uh, I, what were Who's we talking about? I have no idea. Well, we were talking about oh. celebrities and, and yeah, stormtroopers. Yeah, stormtroopers. And, uh, uh, there, uh, oh, getting dressed. Well, there was a point I was getting at. If you, you can get dressed, uh, no masks for adults. That's a Disney World wide uh, thing there. I mean, it doesn't matter if it's Star Wars weekends or anything else. Uh, kids, I think, are okay with, with masks. Uh, but that being said, regardless of whatever costume you wear, on, short of wearing the slave Princess Leia costume, which I totally <laughs> advise every single female to wear to the parks, it is way too hot to get dressed up, in my opinion. I mean, it, it's, people do it, and they wear wool robes, you know, the, the Jedi robes, or they'll dress up like, you know... Um, 
and some of the different Jedi characters or anything else, and it's just brutal over there in the heat. So if you're going to get dressed up, it's a great idea when you're sitting in your air-conditioned, you know, uh, house in February. I know I keep my air conditioning on in February, um, but you know you may want to reconsider it or at least come down a day early and make sure you're okay with wearing that. Well, there are a great go ahead a great costume to beat the heat if you really want to beat the heat and you're not going to dress in the, uh, the the slave Leia outfit. I'm thinking the the uh, black under and then the the brown robe over above just throw some electric lights in the middle go as a jawa and you know just, i mean sure you're covered head to toe but that's that's, that's another nice short pool. that's another dig towards me being short like i'm a jawa uh, i so was about to go there we stole my thunder uh, the, the the door was open i mean on that one yeah well, like i never heard that one before but <laughs> all right let, let, let's we, we talked about some of the celebrities we're talking about people getting dressed up Let's kind of, I guess, transition right over to characters. You see how I'm trying to keep the flow of this going? Because there are tons and tons of walk-around characters at the studios. Well, you would never have this show be long. I mean, come on. It's beneath you to run over. Quick 20-minute shows. That's what we're talking about here, folks. Give us five minutes. We'll give you the world. Oh, please. Anyway, come on. (laughs) Tell us about some of the... uh, I mean, there's like 40-plus characters, Star Wars characters, that you can see just wandering around the parks. Yeah, this is the only time of the year you can really meet uh, characters in the par- Star Wars characters in the parks, aside from Darth Vader and the occasional stormtrooper that come out at Star around Star Tours every now and then. And, Do they um, have an, an animatronic walk around Yoda? You know, there are rumors of that. I I, I can't say that there are because otherwise, well, I don't care. I'm not. I'm on Lou's show. Everyone will email Lou. <laughs> yes, there will be. <laughs> he'll be there, and and Harrison Ford, he'll be there too. <laughs> email Lou at. DisneyWorldTrivia.com. Um, nice. There's there's a lot of characters. Um, there's uh, a number, new this year is Captain Typho. He wasn't the last. He wasn't there last year, uh, but he'll be there this year. Um, Anakin Skywalker. And this might not be mention, worth mentioning, except for all the females tend think that the guy who portrays him is just like a, a clone of the of. Of, of the of the real character, Hayden, so Hayden Christensen. Oh, you mean the guy that single-handedly ruined you know one of the greatest movie franchises ever? That Hayden Christensen, <laughs> okay. that guy. Are okay. we talking? Were we talking about Jake Lloyd? <laughs> right, <laughs> Jake Lloyd. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, you can meet you know the storm. There's not only can you meet stormtroopers in the conventional sense, you know the ones we've seen in you know the uh, episode four, five, and six. You've got the clone troopers of various kinds, uh, uh, the the sand troopers. Uh, there are a lot of fun, and again, I highly advise you to go walk up to one of the stormtroopers. There, there are a lot of fun to play with. Uh, there's Ewoks. Uh, Jedi Mickey is there. Ooh, there's a um, costume for Lou. All right, Ewoks. enough. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, he could fit in those little huts over there above you know, the <laughs> do, do you know the song, Lou? Note to self. <laughs> Note to self. No more inviting Matt and Jonathan. Okay. <laughs> I just want to know if Jonathan's going to sing a little cute song for us before this segment begins. Um, Not at the rate he's going. It's going to be edited out. No. Um, but there's a lot. Queen Amidala, Princess Leia, and Luke Skywalker. And it's all Princess Leia and Luke Skywalker are at the studios every day in the, in the afternoon parade, but you can't meet them. So this is another, again, great opportunity to meet all these characters, great photo opportunities. Uh, Chewbacca's usually there. See, now so. here's what I don't understand. If you've got Queen Amidala walking around, and you've got Luke and Leia walking around, just not possible. It's not possible. <sighs> You're not thinking fourth dimensionally. <laughs> oh. oh my God! That How did you guys reference. ever get girls? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> 
that was a reference from a completely different theme park. You should be ashamed. That's of right. Oh, I'm, I'm glad you picked up on that, Jonathan. Uh, <sighs> All right, let's move over to. I'm, I'm going to keep this going. If it, if it's I the last thing I do, go ahead. I got one more thing to mention, Luke, because you know. What are we talking you, about? Six hours see, or seven hours? You make hours? fun of me, but you just—you are relishing the opportunity to just go on forever. So. Oh, sure. I mean, wait, let's—you know—let's stretch this out to like four different episodes. Uh, the other thing I should mention, quickly wanted to mention, is the 501st uh, Stormtrooper Legion will be coming to the studios. And for those who—I know Jonathan totally knows who they are—but um, for the rest of the world out there who isn't geeked out, uh, what the 501st are—they're what can best be described—they. They, dress up as stormtroopers and they do such a good job of dressing up as stormtroopers that disney invites them to come to disney world and march over there and they're going to be there uh pretty much every weekend they're definitely going to be there in force on the first saturday there's going to be 95 troopers over there at last count with a little less in on friday force. and sunday <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah got that um the other th- the only thing it's it's interesting because um well, clearly the imperial requirements uh, for fitness have been a little lax since the last <laughs> I checked. That's all I mentioned. Some of them are a little um, <clears throat> uh, portly. Now we have a costume I could wear. <laughs> <laughs> so it's interesting. They, they, these are all fans who dressed up. It's really a nice uh, addition. Cool. So keep an eye out for them. And that's you're going to be down there that weekend, right? Yes, I'll be down there on the first weekend, and if you're not going to be able to get down there, I'm planning on blogging live from over there. I've got all these neat little toys that I convinced work that I totally needed. <laughs> <laughs> not only is he going to be down there, Lou, the truth is, is that Matt Hotchberg is actually a fictitious name. This is actually Jeremy Bullock we're talking to. <laughs> right. I'm stuck in the Sarlacc, you know, from... Um, <laughs> <laughs> from episode uh, six, and so not only did you guys actually get girls, you weren't beaten up a lot in high school, or <laughs> all right, all right. Let's well. move on to the events that take place because for a lot of people, this is really the reason why they go down because there's things there for kids, there's things for kids at heart like us and and geeks and adults. So Matt, talk to us about some of the events going on this year. A lot of great events. Uh, unfortunately, the one event that is missing this year is the Who Wants to Be Millionaire Star Wars edition, of course building's gone, so hence the attraction The attraction is going to be gone. Uh, but there are a lot of fun events. The, the highlight, I think, a couple events that really stand out, Lou, uh, the Jedi Training Academy is great for kids. If you've got a kid about mm, ages four to eight or so, I think it's the perfect age for them. And what they do is they get up on stage, uh, Disney gives them uh, robes and lightsabers, and they train to fight uh, Darth Vader, or in recent years they've also brought on Darth Maul, or a combination of both, and it's it's a really a lot of fun. Kids love it, and if you're interested in doing it, it's important that you show up at least 15 to 20 minutes before the show time, so you can get your kid picked. And the other thing is that your kid has to be very, very energetic. It's really hard to get into one, but there's one like literally every hour. So, uh, but that's a really fun event, and one I really recommend. Even if you don't have kids, watch it. It's a lot of fun, and one you wish that you could do too. You wish you, could. Uh, you know, I could so kick Darth Vader's butt, you know, over there. I mean, there'd be all these little kids over there, out of the way, kids. And I would totally be like Anakin Skywalker in episode uh, two, you know, and running over there you know, when he he fought Darth Tyrannus and, you know, got a little overzealous. With two blades Uh, at the same time? Oh, yeah. Oh, totally. I mean, ah. Sweep the the leg, Johnny. Uh, there are a lot of other great events. The trivia events, there's a trivia event for kids, a trivia event for adults. A lot of people are scared off by the adult one. It's not as bad as you think. 
it's it's only movie trivia, so you don't have to start, you know, if you haven't read any of the books or anything like that, not that I would have ever read any of them, you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> have you actually, have you started the new Legacy of the Force series? No, I haven't gotten around to that. I'm, oh, bummer, man, they're good. Uh, okay, they're good. move along. <laughs> oh, nothing to uh, see here. <laughs> yeah, anyway, if you're interested, if, if you think, I mean, looking for. The, the tribute... The trivia is fun for the adults. Uh, they start out pretty easily, you know. What's the name of the the you know the animal in episode six that swallows you know uh, you know all the guys and you're in there for forty years and of course that's the the rancor, sarlacc. Oh no, the sarlacc. So rancor is the 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 thing the that beast. comes out. Yeah, the beast exactly. I'm just letting you oh, guys you bury. I'm just letting you guys bury <laughs> yourself. That's all. <laughs> um. And then, we'll but by the time you get to the finals, I mean, we're talking about like who's the second lieutenant in the on the Death Star of the, you know, 4th Brigade or something like that, and then you're just, you know... I mean, you're just in Lou Mangiello's zone. Lou's trying to play it off like he has no idea, but he's been, like, drooling about this show all week. I'm trying to be, like, the coolest of the geeky kids. Yeah, Yeah, he's got his cigarettes rolled up in his sleeve, and he's hanging out over there, and, you know, he spits out his trivia every now and then. And the other other event I'll mention, Lou, because we can't go over, God forbid we go, like, you know, more... Eight hours is the hyperspace hoopla, which is at the end of the night. A lot of people skip it because they figure, well, I've done everything. And what it is, it's it's a very fun event. It kind of wraps up the whole day. It's really best described as the closing ceremonies of the event, and it's held every night, usually about six, seven o'clock. Matt, Go last ahead, year boy. they had an event called uh, Behind the Force: The Saga Continues, which was a kind of a behind-the-scenes documentary about George Lucas and the special effects things. Is that something they have scheduled for this year? Do you know? The Behind the Force has not been officially announced. Oh, no, it has been. Excuse me. It has. Uh, they have only a partial list of events. I thought that was one. Uh, yeah, it is. It is. They are doing that. It's, it's actually a very interesting event. Uh, the Behind the Force, it's, it was, uh, last year was narrated by Warwick Davis. I'm not sure if Jayla Guy is going to narrate it or they're just going to use uh, what uh, Warwick Davis said. But it's a really, it's a behind-the-scenes uh, documentary looking at George Lucas and his creative team and, uh, you know, and how they made, you know, the quote-unquote movie magic uh, that went into the whole Star Wars thing. It's interesting. It's a lot of these things occur. First of all, it's in the ABC TV theater, which is just cool because you can actually go there, <laughs> and they're actually doing something with it. Um, so that in itself, for an MGM Studios nerd like myself, uh, you know, I just get a kick out of that. Isn't and, that where uh, they used to do Superstar Television? That's right, and Doug Life, and yeah, the I... often forgotten uh, Get Happy with ABC. So you want to talk about a costume I could wear? I was the skipper. Were you really? Yeah. Wow. I was like nine. <laughs> uh, we could have a whole show about that. You know, just lamenting about why they don't do anything with there and why Superstar TV should be brought yeah, back. Yeah, try doing that on WDW today and see what happens. Um, <laughs> they had something else cool last year where they had a uh, one of the sound stages on Mickey Avenue. They had a a full scale mock up of a, of an X wing that you could take picture, pictures in front of, right? Yeah, they had one. Um, it was it was you had two options. You could just go stand in front. There was a green screen behind it. You could take your picture for free, and that was kind of cool. But you know what they were trying to do is you know of course get you to spend money, and you would be able to stand in front of the the mock up of the X wing, and there would be put a background in there, and it, it was actually very cool, Lou. And they put over they put it over there in Soundstage One on Mickey Avenue, and they had not only did they have that over there, they had uh, merchandise, which we'll talk about a little bit later. But it was they opened up this temporary location, so they did a lot of. Uh, innovating last year, and uh, th- I-, I hope the X Wing is going to be back this year. I haven't heard if it is, if uh, for for sure, but I'm certainly uh, it was a real highlight from last year. For, for purposes of show notes, we would love for you to share your picture in front of the X Wing. <clears throat> my understanding is that this make use of some of the unused backlot area. They're bulldozing the Golden Girls house and putting in a life size replica of a Star Destroyer. 
That would that would be awesome. <laughs> you could have oh, can you imagine the possibilities. Then the the tram comes by and oh no, we're caught in a tractor beam. And oh, oh be still my heart. <laughs> <laughs> You know, you know. As soon as uh, Newell Scope and Lintesta hear this, they're going to find some way to get you off that show. <laughs> anyway, dude, they don't listen to four-hour podcasts. <laughs> okay, look, look on the bright side. Look on the bright side, Matt. After the comments come in after this show, you've got no home here either. <laughs> That's, That's right. I'm just burning my bridge behind me. <laughs> All right, let's. You start talking about merchandise. Let's move on to that because that's another big, big, big draw from. Star Wars weekends. They have some, uh, you know, great, you know, stuff that you can get normally over at Tatooine Traders, as well as a lot of limited edition stuff. I know last year I was able to get a signed uh, Brian Blackmore Jedi Mickey Big Fig, which is just one of the prize pieces in my collection. Yeah, the, the, there's a lot of great limited edition merchandise, Lou. And this year they've got four new Big Fig figures. My favorite, have you, I don't know if you guys have taken a look at it, it's got to be the, the Stormtrooper Donald. I think that one looks really nice. But, you know, the... Um, the big figs, and there's a number of limited edition merchandise ranging from pins to shirts to in the glass. In the past few years, they've had uh, you know uh, the Darth Goofy plush dolls that sold out in like five minutes. And yeah. really, with all this merchandise, I mean, if you just want a Star Wars weekend shirt, that's easy to get. But we're talking the limited anything that's limited edition is ridiculously hard to get. And again, just yeah. like the fa- just like the 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 autographs. You're gonna need to really get them as soon as the park opens because these things go fast. That's what I'm saying. You, you, you almost need to prioritize between getting the merchandise you want and you know, do I want to get autographs? Do I want to get merchandise? What am I gonna, you know, it's a catch twenty yep. two. What you're gonna want to do first? You're right. That's why again, Lou. It goes back to what I said before. If I can toot my own horn here for a second, www.today.com. Didn't be the um, first time. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know. Ideally, you're going to Star Wars weekends at least two of the three days for the weekend. I mean, if you're going to be there for you know two weekends, maybe you're going there for a week, and you're going to be Sunday to Sunday, or you know Friday to Saturday, or something like that. Um, ideally, again, you're you're going for multiple days because then you can go on the first day, get your merchandise out of the way, and then on the second day that you go, do you know get get the celebrities, and it just makes it so much easier. It's less stressful. But I know I understand that not everyone can do that. But yeah, Lou, you get if you're going to try to squeeze it all in. You're going to want to get that stuff in there uh, as soon as you can. The only saving grace with the big figs is they, they're pretty expensive. They're $175. One of one of the things to always investigate, though, is whether or not any of the uh, merchandise that you want is going to be available for pre-order through places like event services. For example, the prize piece in my collection, uh, I don't really collect any of the big figs or, or plushes, uh, but I'm really into the animation artwork. And last year, to coincide with the Star Wars Weekend's uh, the studio's uh, animation folks, the like three that are still there, uh, put together a limited edition Jedi Mickey cell called Defend Ears of the Kingdom. Uh, and you can actually, you could, yeah, and, and I've got the, they do them in a three-way setup where you've got the cell, you've got a postcard of the image signed by all the artists, and then a pin of the image on the cell framed, ready to go. Um, they're actually on June 16th, uh, in an, a slightly unrelated note, having a pirate Mickey cell release party at the MGM Studios. Uh, so that'll actually coincide with one of the Star Wars weekends. Um, so if you want to see that, that's June 16th over at the Animation Gallery. Uh, I will not be there because mine is already on order and will be shipping to Seattle for me. And again, that would voiceofmousetunes.blogspot.com. <laughs> before we before we move past merchandise, the one thing I guess we should know too is you don't have to worry about carrying the stuff all there. Don't forget if you if you are staying on property, they'll send the stuff back to your room for you as well. Yep. 
And one more note about merchandise, Lou. Uh, do not even attempt to try to buy merchandise at Tatooine Traders, which is the uh, the store at the end of Star Tours over there. It, it, I guarantee you it will be an absolute zoo over there. Uh, try to see uh, if certain things are going to be available elsewhere. I know in the past years the big things have been available at the Magic at Disney Animation Shop, which is the Animation Gallery over there. Uh, every year they have Golden Age Souvenirs, which is that store right by Sounds Dangerous, and that sells a lot of the um, Star Wars Weekend merchandise. And again, last year, as I mentioned earlier, over on Mickey Avenue and Soundstage 1, they opened up Wicked Tra- Wicket's Traders, which was a uh, temporary store to sell a lot of the Star Wars Weekend merchandise. And if you can, I mean, if, if you can avoid that, you know, that portal to hell itself, which is that, <laughs> I mean, that place is just packed. I mean, you just can't get in there. It's ridiculous. Um, if you can avoid tattooing traders, uh, try to do so because it'll just you're just going to spend literally. It would not surprise me if you spent an hour trying to just buy one thing over there. All right, well, you bring me you bring me to another point that I want to make because in addition to probably scaring people half to death with some of your comments about Star Wars, you've probably scared some people too who are going down who maybe are into it who are afraid about what the crowds are going to be like. You know, you're talking about how long these lines are going to be. We can all obviously assume that Star Tours is going to have probably longer waits than normal, much like the Haunted Mansion would have during uh, Mickey's Not-So-Scary and Pirates of the Caribbean would have during the Pirate and Princess Party. But what are the crowds going to be like um, on these weekends? I mean, should people just avoid the studios at all costs if they're not going to be into the events, or is it not going to be that bad for the attractions that have nothing to do with Star Wars? It's is really where you not- want me to do my Len Testa impression? <laughs> <laughs> Please go ahead. I- I'd love to hear it. Hold on. Let me boot up soundboard Len and let me get him on here. <laughs> well, considering how often Len's been on the show lately, you could just sit there quiet, and then it would be just the same. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, if you, if you go to toyplans.com and check out the unofficial guide. <laughs> are you re- oh. John, are you referring to the unofficial guide to Walt Disney World? <laughs> that, that would be the current 2007 edition, I think. It's second they're, they're working second on the 2008 edition. edition. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. ding. <laughs> Getting back to your question, Lou, uh, you know, there's going to be, in terms of crowds, in terms of people, yes, there's going to be a huge amount of elevated amount of people at the studios those days. However, these people are going to be really centered around Star Tours area. It's mostly Indiana Jones, Star Tours, Sounds Dangerous, and part of Mickey Avenue, really, if you can imagine the studios in your head. That's really the area you're talking about. Wait times for attractions like Tower of Terror, Great Movie Ride, really anything un-Star Wars weekend-related are going to be at normal, if not a little bit less than normal, because most people in the park are there for Star Wars weekends. Uh, that being said, you know it's going to be harder probably to get a reservation for the dining because you're competing in those same people, although they're not going to Tower of Terror, they still got to eat. Uh, so if you're going to be there for the week, you're not interested in Star Wars weekends, I would advise you to try it out. But if you're not interested, you may want to skip it that day. Uh, I would skip it on Friday as an extra magic hours day, and then it's just going to be total chaos. So I'll be there, but you know that's only because I'm contractually required to be there. Um, uh, you know, not that I would want to go to the event anyway. Uh, so it's really not, you know, even Star Tours, Lou. You know, it, it, it its line is going to be longer than usual, but by the end of the day, it's really it reverts back to its natural form. It's very good in terms of handling you know crowds because it's got you know all those simulators over there, and it really uh, moves it quickly. So. Um, it's not the end of the world if you have to go to the studios on one day and you're not really interested in Star Wars weekends. All right, so so if you are going down for Star Wars weekends, let's talk about a couple of tips that we should maybe think about for people who are going to to really make the most out of uh, out of the weekend and out of the events. I, I have a tip right off the bat, and I think the most important tip for Star Wars weekends, if you're going down, is to make sure that you have with you your Walt Disney World Trivia Guides, Volumes 1 and 2, <laughs> now available at DisneyWorldTrivia.com, to make sure that you're taking in all the trivia around 
uh, and seeing everything that it is you want to see. I thought you were going say to bring a credit card because that would make much more sense than bringing your trivia book. <laughs> You'll probably get more use out of the credit card. <laughs> understanding is you can actually purchase the trivia books with a credit card. Now, is that... <laughs> <laughs> but not at the Disney MGM Studios, unfortunately. Sorry. Yeah, you're working on that. Little <laughs> I'm working on it. I'm working. Um, yeah, some good tips. Again, arrive early. You're going to want to show up uh, you know, I mentioned you know the stormtroopers on the roof, and that's entertaining. But really, beyond that, even if you don't care, I would still advise you to show up at least half an hour, 45 minutes. I mean, there are people that are literally going to show up there two hours before the park opens. It's not obviously. I'm not recommending that anyone need to do that. Uh, but you definitely want to arrive early. And if you want to you see know. Matt, get there two hours early, get his autograph first. <laughs> Remember, this is the same group of people that lined up for weeks to get tickets to Episode One. And I mean, come on. Yeah. <laughs> well, I wasn't one of those people. I, yeah, I mean, you know, there was nothing wrong with showing up for that midnight showing, you know. And, no. <laughs> four days early. <laughs> four uh, days? You know, again, wow. Four days. I was there a week early. What the heck? <laughs> Losers. <laughs> uh, not my listeners, I just mean you two guys. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, by the well, way, Matt, yeah. congratulations. You've just hit the 40-minute mark again on, with your second time on my show. What is that like? Is that the shortest time you've ever had on an interview? <laughs> uh, um, so let me let me try to answer this in a timely fashion yeah, for you. Please, jeez, uh, arrive early uh, again. Crowds are going to be high. Don't be fooled by them. I mean, if you want to go, if you want to do attractions in the studios, not going to be the end of the world. Yeah, Tower of Terror again is going to be running fairly normally. I wouldn't really worry about that too much. And again, if you're interested in doing not all a whole day at Star Wars weekend, maybe you just want to do, you know, uh, see Peter Mayhew do Jedi training. And buy a shirt, and that's it. No problem. Uh, really, the other attractions at the studios are going to be manageable. Uh, although it will get significantly more crowded as you move through the summer. So the first weekend is going to be less crowded than the last weekend. And, of course, that's summer crowds. The closer you get to July, the more and more crowded it's going to get. That comes with the territory. It's not just the studio saying that's all of Walt Disney World. Um, you know, Again, when you get there, get the Times Guide. Uh, there will not, if you're going for weekend one, there will not be a times guide of different events, what's going on and what times before the first weekend. It, Disney never releases it in advance. I think it's dumb because I'm sure they have the information. Um, but if you're getting there, grab the information guide, look to make sure everything's uh, what time. And again, if you do one thing above all else, and it's we've, we've been talking about this before, have a plan for a general, you know, what you want to do, prioritize what you want to do, and. Um, you know that'll make it so much easier for you. Yeah, and <clears throat> excuse me, on your site, uh, I'll link to it. You have a, a list of a lot of other ideas and other tips, and a lot of really insightful things like prepare for the heat, um, do wacky stuff that will get you noticed, <laughs> not necessarily getting into a fight or anything, but you, but unusual stuff like wearing your hair in Princess Leah buns. Go to the bathroom often. Thank you for pointing that out. Um, <laughs> expect, will that get you noticed? <laughs> expect to get jealous. Some Star Wars freaks there will have the coolest collectibles ever. Keep calm and don't attack. I see now why they don't let you talk about this on your show. <laughs> that sounds to me more like self-preservation on Hodgebrook's yeah. part. It's, you know, please don't be mad at me. <laughs> Well, you know what it is, Lou. It's once you get in there, it all sounds really nerdy. But once you're there among your people, and <laughs> I see more people, because <laughs> that's you, Lou. The rest um, of the Ewoks, you mean? <laughs> yeah, the rest of the Ewoks, right? So do, the do, under four feet tall. Do, uh, well, that's it for us today. Uh, <laughs> on this, see, oh. abridged look at Star Wars weekends. Um, Stay tuned for another four hours of Lou Mangello <laughs> yammering on. I, 
I see they're loading our navigator, Mike Scopa. We should be off and going any minute now. Uh, Matt, you actually do on your site have um, you do have some good information there about Star Wars some weekends. Some good information. No, I'm only kidding. You, you got a lot of great stuff on there. Uh, you got a lot of posts. You got a lot of pictures. You also have you do have the video of the stormtroopers, which you should go and check out if you can't make it down because I do agree it's, it is pretty funny. I'll put a link up to mgmstudios.org. Jonathan will also put a link over to. Don't worry, I'm going to say Voice of Mouse Tunes. Blog. You got to change it, uh, by the way. Voice of whatever what? blogs dot, dot, dot com. Guys, thank you for coming on for for the show that I had promised was going to be for the segment that I promised was going to be twenty minutes long, forty five minutes later. Okay, <laughs> terrific. <laughs> so, guys, it's been real. It's been fun. Uh, no, seriously, thank you very much for coming on and uh, and getting a little geeky with me, talking about some Star Wars. So, Excellent. hey, Matt. Am, yes. Am I, am I cool enough to guest on uh, WDW? Oh, I so saw that coming. <laughs> well, you know, after we brought Lou on a few times, we really had to ramp up our uh, our, our, our our guest um, previews because we really got to make sure that they they don't stink it up like some people. That come <laughs> well, there. I, I don't have a book. I don't have a podcast. I haven't really done much of anything, but yeah. I can make fun of almost everybody. Well, then you fit the Mike Newell criteria. Welcome aboard. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, guys. <laughs> Cue the music. We're out of here. <laughs> see ya. Help me, Obi Wan. Was that my stole that my see ya? <laughs> stole my see ya. Her name was Leia. She was a princess with a Danish on each ear and Darth Vader drawing near. So R two D two found Ben Kenobi. Obi Wan. He'd have to put the Death Star plans into the Rebellion's hands. So Luke and Obi Wan had to get to Alderaan. <laughs> They stopped into Mos Eisley to have a drink with Han at the Star Wars, Star Wars Cantina, the weirdest creatures you've ever seen. In keeping with the interactive theme of the show, this week we have another wonderful listener-submitted segment. It comes from Jared Mathis, who in the past has composed for the show a number of background tracks that I've played on some of the earlier podcasts. He's a talented musician, so it's appropriate that his segment revolves around music. No, not his music, but some of the most beloved music in all the Walt Disney World theme parks since the Magic Kingdom first opened in 1971. Jared was able to obtain an exclusive interview with the legendary Don Dorsey. You may or may not know him by name, but I guarantee you know his work as he created arrangements for the Main Street Electrical Parade, scored Laserphonic Fantasy and Illuminations, directed Sorcery in the Sky and Epcot's World Showcase, and in 1999 directed the new Illuminations, Reflections of Earth. Jared was able to spend quite some time with Don, but we have his abridged interview here for the show. If you'd like to hear the entire interview, I'll make it available as a separate download and put the link in this week's show notes. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, the Magic Kingdom proudly presents our spectacular festival pageant of nighttime magic and imagination. In thousands of sparkling lights and electro-synthomagnetic musical sounds. Hi everybody, this is Jared Mathis, uh, and I'm very pleased to be bringing you an interview with Don Dorsey. Uh, Don has a huge resume of very, very interesting, eclectic uh, work including having several albums hit number one on the Billboard Classical Charts, 
uh, and doing shows for so many companies and, and parks, including Universal, SeaWorld, um, things in Las Vegas. But he is most well-known to Disney fans as being one of the key creative forces behind just about every parade you'll see in any Disney park around the world. Every Lagoon show at Epcot and other big Disney entertainment like Fantasmic and Sorcery in the Sky. I had the opportunity to talk with Don for almost two hours one day, and here we have it edited down to about a half an hour of it. Uh, he has some amazing stories to tell, both about how he got involved with Disney and the Main Street Electrical Parade, all the way up to um, how he came up with the concept of the Millennium Celebration. So without further ado, here we go. Hi, Don. Thanks for taking time out of your schedule to talk to me. Hey, Jared. I've got a lot to ask you about, uh, and I thought we'd start at the very beginning, and if you can give us an idea of your background, and then eventually how you came to work for the Disney Company. Oh boy, how much time do you have? Plenty. I uh, I started playing piano in kindergarten, and you know my mother saw that I had some some ability to pick out melodies that I had heard, and so she threw me immediately into music lessons, and um, I did probably what every young kid does at some point, which is take mandatory piano lessons. Mm -hmm. um, but when I was in high school, uh, electronic music was um, just becoming the rage. Um, my junior year, uh, Switched On Bach came out, and so I wanted to buy a synthesizer. And uh, in 1971, the Moog company made that possible, so I did. And um, shortly after that, the first electrical parade premiered, and uh, I went to see it, and I was kind of overwhelmed with the sound and the whole presentation. Uh, it was really unique. Um, I grew up about seven miles from Disneyland, and and uh, we could hear the fireworks at night from our house, and, and we would often drive down and park outside and watch the fireworks. But I hadn't been to Disneyland very often, so the fact that I had gone in on this particular day uh, was very much to see the electrical parade and to hear it. And uh, when I came down the street, I just I had a feeling that that was sort of my calling. And I didn't know that it would be specifically the electrical parade. I just knew that there was something about uh, parades and lights in the dark and fantastic music and the whole experience that that uh, I found very appealing. And I thought that I would someday like to work in that field. And uh, it was, uh, as a result of that inspiration, I got busy, you know, getting practicing the synthesizer and making recordings at home and, and doing all that. And I, uh, after I graduated from high school, I started writing halftime shows for my high school. Mm -hmm. And, of course, I had the synthesizer. And being a kind of a crazy guy, I said, hey, why don't we use a synthesizer in a halftime show? And they said, we don't have enough extension cord. <laughs> um, so they turned me down. But I thought, you know, I really want to find a way to do this. Because I think it would, you know, it's a, a new kind of entertainment that nobody will have seen, and it'll attract a lot of people, and, you know, publicity is always good. So I went to the uh, local community college and said, how about you guys? Are you interested in a halftime show with a synthesizer? And they said, that's a very interesting idea, but no. <laughs> um, but they were interested enough to say, uh, if you'd like to do a guest artist concert, um, you know, we'll be happy to have you as the guest artist, and you can perform the synthesizer live with our concert band. The only catch is that you have to do all the arrangements, mm -hmm. obviously, because no music is written for synthesizer and concert band. So I did, and we did. And the publicity from that 
live event got the attention of Jack Wagner, who was at that time the producer for all the recordings for the entertainment division at Disneyland and Walt Disney World. And Jack came up to me after the show and said, hey, you whippersnapper, um, we just might have a job for you. And uh, so I got all excited, and it was two years I waited for him to call back, but he eventually did, and uh, got me involved with America on Parade at that point. Um, the Bicentennial did, Parade. The Bicentennial Parade. Mm -hmm. uh, and I started in January of 75 working on that. We set up an electronic music studio in Jack's dining room. Uh, there was a big old chandelier right in the middle of the room. We had to be very careful as we, you know, moved around in the uh, in the space there to keep from hitting our heads. But we had a big uh, patch Moog system on one wall, and we had a mini Moog, and we had some other synthesizers that we had borrowed from various manufacturers. And uh, we did the recording in his dining room. And uh, because all all through the the intervening years. Um, I had been working in local recording studios and with local bands and stuff. I had some skills as a recording engineer and got to use those in mixing the parade. And then uh, when the parade opened, uh, it opened first at Walt Disney World. And uh, I got to travel to Walt Disney World and observe the opening of that. And uh, when I got back to California, um, Jack had talked to Bob Yanni, who was the vice president of entertainment. And Jack said he wanted to hire me full time as his assistant. So that's how I sort of got um, brought into the fold, as they say. And that must have been quite the experience to go down and see that first performed at Walt Disney World. Um, yeah, I actually, I told Jack that, uh, you know, this was like the biggest project I'd worked on yet, and I had an interest in seeing it open. And he said, well, um, I have to go down, you know, to coordinate the opening of the parade. And uh, if you want to come down on your own, ticket that's fine you can sort of you know hang out with us and follow us around so I got to observe the production process from the inside um, he actually sent me a day early and I hand carried the master tapes for him um, but it was interesting you know I, I was always interested in not just um, the theatrical result of of the uh, production but also you know how the details came together and how do you stage a parade and mm -hmm. um, the, the infamous seven-and-a-half-minute introduction was uh, a task that was actually given to me right away. They said, okay, we've got this very long intro that has to end as the parade reaches each point in the park. How do we do that? And, uh, the task fell to me to figure out how to actually make that work. So uh, for most of 1975 and 1976, I actually stood on the rooftop at Disneyland with a stopwatch calling out the audio cues. Uh, to the technician who would then, you know, punch the right tapes and turn the right knobs to make it happen. And that was sort of the beginning of the gestation of an idea of a computer-controlled parade system. Is that what we know as Mickey Track today? Um, yes, it was um, 1980 before we actually got it to happen, but that's uh, what we initially called Mickey Track. From there, after having been brought on as the assistant, what kind of projects did you work on in the coming years? Well, it was uh, during the Bicentennial Parade, you know, we were producing and recording other shows, and I worked at Jack's home studio, and we did all, all the presentation work, all the uh, demo tapes for projects and stage shows. Um, I think there were Kids of the Kingdom productions going on at that time. Uh, you know, we, we, I was in the studio with Jack. Anytime there was a recording, I was the engineer. Um, I was at his house doing editing and post-production, laying in sound effects making reference cassettes, you know, any kind of, everything from the glamorous to the uh, the nitty-gritty dirt work. 
And it was interesting that you told me that at that time, Jack was doing a lot of the character voices in the park because they weren't paying for the original actors. Yeah, in the uh, in the early days, as I call it, you know, the late 70s, early 80s, uh, the theme parks were sort of disconnected creatively from the studio. There wasn't the kind of synergy that we see today because they weren't really making the kind of classic animated films during that period. So we had uh, Mickey, Minnie, Donald, Goofy, Chip and Dale, you know, sort of the basic characters uh, taking part in parades and stage shows at the parks, and the studio just wasn't involved at all. And Jack discovered that he could, uh, either by just altering his voice um, or by using uh, variable speed tapes or different kinds of processors, could get close enough to the uh, character voices that it served the, the needs of the park. And uh, and it saved them a lot of money because if they if they had used the film talent, then they would have had to pay them union scale, like for a television or a motion picture. And the usage wasn't really comparable. You know, um, a theme park stage show isn't the same kind of thing that a, a major motion picture release or a national TV show is. So you know, Jack did audition, and they said, you know, that's fine. Go ahead and do that at the parks, and we'll worry about. Uh, the important stuff, as they said. Mm -hmm. uh, so Jack did most of those, uh, all of those that he could out of his home. And then occasionally we would go hire uh, additional voice talent if there was uh, some specific need that Jack couldn't, couldn't perform. Now, one of the things I was most looking forward to asking you about is the development of the Millennium Celebration, Reflections of Earth, the Tapestry of Nations. And I would love to hear what went into the development of that, because I know it is such a beloved show and parade and experience for so many people. The millennium seemed to me uh, to be a great opportunity for something. And I didn't exactly know what, but at the end of the 1980s, after we had opened Illuminations, uh, and people started to say, you know, well, the millennium's coming, it's only 10 years away, and Y2K and all this stuff, I became very interested in trying to figure out what the millennium meant, um, you know, if if there was going to be some massive or large-scale entertainment for the millennium, what does it mean to people? What is the significance? Um, so I started my own sort of personal inquiry and thought process in around 1990. And, you know, the closer I felt I was getting to something, the further away it seemed. And by the time Disney started to seriously think about what they might do for the millennium, uh, it was already 1996, and I had been working with Tom Craven and the uh, WDI R&D people on the air launch project, and Tom asked me if I could come up with a concept for the Millennium and air launch fireworks, since it was a completely Disney-developed technology. Uh, you know, how could we incorporate the Millennium with air launch? And so he had me looking at a global event. We were talking about... Uh, major cities in every time zone around the world could have uh, air launch fireworks shows, you know, co-sponsored by Disney or uh, created by Disney and sponsored by local companies or civic organizations or whatever as part of a millennium thing, given that fireworks were invented roughly a thousand years ago. And so there was a, a kind of a link between fireworks and the millennium and Disney and fireworks and all of that sort of thing. And uh, I actually pitched a global concept for the Millennium that involved not just the round-the-world fireworks shows, but uh, transforming the hub areas of each uh, Disney 
Magic Kingdom design park into a giant sort of, I'll, I'll call it Stonehenge, but that's not really what the idea was, but a, a gathering place where there would be uh, uh, prime viewing for a fireworks show that would surround you uh, 360 degrees around the hub and over the castle and, and also, you know, around the world and all this. It was a, a really big idea. It, it At the highest concept level, it involved the studio, it involved the cruise lines, it involved everything. It was a massive, you know, I'm surprised that they even, you know, gave me a serious time of day when I walked in the room with this <laughs> big idea. But um, so they said, well, you know, let's just kind of concentrate on what we know we can do, which is, you know, let's look at this fireworks thing. Um, and at the same time, I got involved with the studio uh, through Richard Nanula's office looking at corporate plans for the millennium. And there was some talk about a small world tour uh, and some other things. And I pitched a couple of other ideas that got shot down. And it ended up coming back to Epcot. And when the company decided Epcot is going to be sort of the millennium place because it represents the world and all of that, now we have a way to sort of focus our energy and figure out what this is. Well, against this backdrop, I'd already been thinking about the Millennium for 10 years and figured out that the Millennium story, if you will, is about us as humans. Uh, it's not really, it, it is in one way a moment in time, but it's really about humanity. and It's really about what we as human beings do. And that ultimately led to the phrase, we go on. The phrase we go on is not a rah-rah, jump-up-and-down, gaze the millennium kind of statement, but it is a, a clear and true statement of what we do as human beings. We survive. We go on. We, we find a way to move forward. And uh, when Disney Marketing came up with the idea of Celebrate the Future hand-in-hand, hand, my interpretation of that is not just hand-in-hand hand with our family and friends, you know, we move together into the future, but we also join hands across generations as we move forward. And that was um, where the idea of telling stories and passing on traditions came from. So I used the storytelling context, which is timeless, uh, to frame the entire show. And that, of course, led to, you know, sitting around the campfire, relating stories, you know, talking to your kids, all that sort of good feeling stuff. Um, and that's how the generic framework of the show came to be. I wanted to to feature the Earth as our home and talk about what was important to the millennium, which is basically us, humanity, moving forward um, across whatever boundary, through whatever problem, uh, into the future, hopefully a better one, without being you know, too rah-rah, gung-ho about it, because the show had to last far beyond the actual millennium. And if you were saying, yeah, it's the millennium, and it's 2002, that's old news. Mm -hmm. So to keep the concept very clean and very simple it was just we go on that's how that came about one of my favorite aspects of the millennium celebration is the music and i know you got um british composer and conductor gavin greenaway to write the music and on the liner notes it says music produced by hans zimmer okay here's the inside story on that and i don't know if i'm supposed to tell this um hans zimmer and michael eisner had at some point made a deal that Hans would do the music for the next Lagoon show. When it came time to actually collect on that promise, Hans was very busy. We had met with him a couple of times and invited him to come to Florida to see the existing show and experience the Lagoon and understand what the context was so that he could write something appropriate. And uh, he had uh, 
committed to a specific date and something came up and he wasn't able to attend. So we postponed for a couple of months and set another date and something came up and he wasn't able to attend. And uh, so we were pretty far along in the concept and, and technical development of the show, but the music really was the anchor for me and I felt that, that we really needed to, to know what the music was going to be before we added the final touches to the show. Mm -hmm. And he said, well, you know, I can tell that because I'm busy and you really need to have this, you know, maybe I ought to pass it off to somebody. So he kind of found Gavin for us. And at that time, you know, I didn't know anything about Gavin. He didn't know anything about us. But we sat down and we talked through the show and he seemed to have a good grasp on it. I, you know, laid it all out for him, said, you know, we go from here to here to here. It takes this much time. We have to do this. It feels like this. Um, and he went away for a couple months and came back with an absolutely brilliant first draft. And um, then over the next couple of months, we worked on uh, the sections that needed further development and polished it up. Suddenly it was finished and it was, it was great. It was perfect. And the show fell into place around it very, very nicely. In addition to overseeing the general concept of the show, I know you also wrote the lyrics to We Go On and Promise, and maybe you can tell us a little bit about that. The, the lyric We Go On, the actual phrase, was something that I had not really verbalized until the producer that had been with me from the beginning of the show to about halfway through was removed from the project against my wishes uh, and for whatever reason I won't speculate on here, but he was taken off the project and, of course, having helped me give birth to this concept and this idea and, and gotten the whole thing off the ground he was kind of frustrated and I was flying home from Florida and stopped over in the Dallas airport and I gave him a call talking and you know through the course of the conversation is you know I said I've, I've you know done everything I can do and uh, all we can do is go on and didn't think about it right at that moment but as soon as I got back on the plane I realized that the phrase we go on was the encapsulation of the idea and so in the two hours between Dallas and California, I wrote that lyric. Promise came out of the need to have something to play after the show as people walked out. Mm -hmm. And it was sort of the, uh, the pop tune under the end credits kind of idea. Mm -hmm. Gavin and I had tossed around a couple of ideas about you know, writing another song or whatever. And I said, well, you know, the, the, the concept is really the same. We can adapt. We can take the theme from the Tapestry show use that as the verse and then we can use the we go on idea as the chorus and create a song that really links both events together and and represents both as the people are walking out because they will have just experienced both of these and so that's what we did and and um, while keeping the the main concept of we go on I wanted it to feel like a wedding you know we're marrying the past to the future with this moment where we stand here right now and I always had in mind that this song would be a wedding song of some form, even though it wasn't going to be, you know, about getting married or anything like that. But without having ever told anybody that, I started getting emails from people asking me to use it at their weddings. <laughs> uh, so I get, it must have worked. Is that where the whole concept of promise came from? Uh, well, it came from, you know, thinking about, you know, the promise of the future and stewardship of the planet and, and keeping traditions and uh, it came out of all of that I mean you know it's hard to distill 10 years worth of contemplation about what it means to be human what it means to have a planet where your life can be sustained what it means to have you know food and shelter and fun things to do and and good people to know 
you know, there's so much wrapped up in a 12-minute presentation. Um, the, the challenge was really, you know, how do you how do you cut down the history of a planet to 12 minutes of presentation and have it carry an impact? And that was the task, you know, tell a story, uh, tell it short and sweet, and make people enjoy it. Well, I think everyone would agree it's a huge success. I think the trick is, um, you know, uh, those of us who are older than others of us. Um, <laughs> um, I grew up in a television age, but I know from listening to old radio broadcasts uh, that the power of the imagination is incredibly strong. And when you listen to something rather than look at it, you have a more perfect experience because you create the experience you want in your mind. And it's how you feel it and experience it in your mind that has incredible power. So I didn't want to present a literal history of the planet Earth because everybody has a different view of what's historically significant. So what I tried to do was present images that would allow people to form their own meaning. The meaning that was the most important to them would come out of their imaginations. And I think you see this happening when you watch the show. Everybody around you is having an intensely personal experience because I'm not telling them anything too specific to think. They are free to think whatever they want. The images are chosen um, to be familiar and iconic so that people can connect quickly and easily. Um, you know, the Earth is really pretty small in the context of a 42-acre lagoon, and so the images have to communicate very efficiently. So I try to just present a parade of images in, in a sequence that takes one topic at a time or one perspective at a time. And by making a lot of familiar associations and emotional connections with the audience from their personal knowledge and experience, that creates the feeling of connection to the show. And then by the time we get to the song about We Go On and all the people singing, that's when uh, we talk about sort of a specific idea. The lyrics are specific words rather than just visual impressions and emotional connections. And I think that's what brings it all together. And, you know, you can see every kind of experience around the lagoon. I've seen people, you know, jump up and down and cheer and scream, and I've seen people weeping. And that can only happen when people are free to decide what their own reaction to the show is going to be. And that brings me to my next question, which is seeing these shows get brought to life. What is it like to be there the first time you watch the show with an audience and see their reaction? Um, I imagine you get used to it after doing this for years, but... But what was that like, seeing those reactions? It's an interesting question that you ask because for a creator, the moment when the show really happens is the first time an audience sees it. And even though we'd, we, we see full run-throughs and full dress rehearsals and full fireworks um, before anybody ever sets eyes on it from the public, it's the public that makes it happen. Uh, you know, we look to see that everything is working and that all of the ideas that we've carefully laid out are presented the way we want to present them. And we, we have an idea because we've seen it in our minds and our imaginations what it's going to be like, but there's nothing like an audience to really let you know if, if you've accomplished what you set out to do. We started running this show 10 days before the October 1st opening, and we had the ability to actually switch back and forth between uh, the old Illuminations and this show. One of our technical requirements was that we'd be able to switch over in one night, which basically meant that we could switch back and forth if we had to. The process of, of watching it develop is very slow and kind of painful because, you know, the first time the, the, the Earth Barge 
turns on as something doesn't work or an image locks up or the computer crashes. You know, there's a lot of moments when you think something is going to be great and it doesn't pay off and you just have to keep working through it and do it another night and hope that it all comes together uh, at the same time. So it, it's it's an interesting experience, you know, to watch something develop. It's kind of, I would imagine, like having a child, you know. Someday they're going to be a, a, a vibrant, productive adult out making their way in the world, but, you know, you got the whole childhood thing to go through first. Mm-hmm. And some of that, you know, is can be messy <laughs> or annoying. <laughs> you know, we do. We have our terrible twos in the show business as well. And then what is it like the first time you see the show with the audience? What kind of uh, vantage point did you have to watch the first performance? The first night that I actually saw it with an audience was a soft opening. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, we kind of sprung it on the audience and they didn't know that it was going to happen. And and uh, it just happened. And, and all of us on the production team were sort of standing around with our fingers crossed, biting our lips, you know, almost afraid to look for fear that something might not function properly. And then suddenly it was over and everything worked and, you know, or mostly worked. And uh, I don't really remember the soft openings very much, but I do remember um, the press opening day because I was running around all day doing interviews with radio stations and TV people and press people. Uh, And then when we actually got to showtime, it was kind of a relief from the hectic activities of the day and actually watched from the roof of Mexico Hmm. uh, with the stage manager. And Gavin watched from somewhere else. I think he was uh, at the UK with his wife, maybe because he's from there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And uh, we had agreed to meet uh, at the Mexico Pavilion following the show. And I came down from the show, you know, and I was happy, and it seemed like the audience had had appreciated it. But um, I hadn't been down with the people. I had been up on the rooftop watching. So I came down, and uh, Gavin came running up to me, and he just looked at me, and he said, I had no idea. Wow. And uh, <laughs> that was that was a fun moment because it, it's then that you sort of realize that um, the kind of work that I do, the business that I'm in, there's kind of no way to communicate to somebody else what your thought process is in any kind of detail. You know, we all do what we do, and we know how we do it, but... I don't completely understand, you know, how Gavin finds inspiration and what he's thinking about when he writes a particular thing down. We all have our own languages, and even though we have some common language, each creative person has something different inside of them when they're thinking about a project. And it was that sort of idea that, you know, we all work together, but we also all work alone. And and here was a great expression that captured you know, our joint success, but our unique experience. That was great. I mean, I was so thrilled that, you know, because he created this fabulous music, and I was really happy that he was uh, pleased with the result. Uh, I will never forget that moment. And then, of course, we watched people standing at the railing, crying and cheering and walking out and talking and buzzing and all the press people, you know, wanting to talk to us. And at, at that point, it became a, a very different kind of experience. But we, we knew we had... We'd, uh, Probably done a pretty decent job. Uh, between then and now, have there been any other projects, either in Disney World or in the other Disney parks, that you have been working on that have premiered that we might know about? Well, um, because of my continuing involvement with the uh, new parade control system for Disney, which is now spreading throughout the world, uh, I continue to to assist with the uh, programming and mounting of any large parade projects, including you know Disneyland's uh, Parade of Dreams. Um, 
I helped open the Hong Kong Park because we installed our control system there. Mm-hmm. Um, we did a parade called Disney on Parade. Um, I was in Paris this last summer putting in our parade control system uh, at Disneyland Paris. You know, there's all kinds of stuff going on. There have been some conversations about uh, shows that might someday replace Reflections of Earth. When we when we created Reflections, uh, the idea was that it would have a 10-year life, and I don't know what the current thinking on that is. Uh, I know that they are in the process of replacing the LED screen on the globe because uh, it's looking a bit weary, as they say. Yeah, I saw it over Christmas. It is looking a little dimmer than it used to. Well, I understand it's going to be just fantastic when they get it completed. Um, hopefully, by the end of May or early June, it'll be back to top shape. And the rumor on the internet is that the next show is called Skydance or Illuminations, the Skydance, or something like that. And I saw that word crop up on your website. So is there anything that you can tell us about that? Well, I can tell you that I have um, pitched a high concept and that it was called Skydance. But there is, uh, to the best of my knowledge, no, no further development on that. And that's been uh, a, a couple of years. Okay. Also on, on your website, I did see mentioned other things you were working on called The Robot Show and Jump for Joy. I'm just curious if there's anything you can tell us about what you might be working on. Well, that's a good question. <laughs> that's a good question. I'm trying to figure out what exactly to say here. After the Millennium Show, I took a year off and traveled around the world. I thought after, you know, after being so involved with the world and what it meant, I ought to sort of see some of it. I took a trip around the world and uh, tried to decide what I wanted to do next. You know, having done parades and fireworks shows, I thought, what, what, what can I challenge myself with next that's new and different? And uh, out of those explorations came an idea for a Las Vegas resort. Oh. And uh, that's what I'm currently pursuing. That may or may not become reality, in the, but it will be a little different than things that you've seen in Vegas up to this point. Very interesting. Well, I guess my last major question for you is with all the projects you've done, not just with Disney, but with Universal Studios, SeaWorld, Radio City Music Hall, the different casinos, Six Flags, what is your favorite project that you've worked on? I'd have to say it was Reflections. Because of all of the the buzz and the controversy and the interest surrounding the millennium the fact that the last time a millennium rolled through here uh, there was no way to really document it you know there's no photographs uh, no video no internet Uh, this was the first millennium that would actually be documented for historical purposes Mm -hmm. I was able to participate in that celebration in a way that very few people have had the opportunity to do and my work, I think, will be uh, contained in the body of work that is, um, at some point in the future, looked back on. So being able to be part of the historical record of a, of a major event like that is unique, and I'm proud of that. I'm proud of the show. I'm very happy that uh, it has been able to, to speak to people um, and become meaningful to them. So much of what Disney does is centered around Disney-specific product, you know, the characters or a particular movie or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and Epcot is a different kind of place, and, and because of that, it's a bit of a challenge to create entertainment that is that that speaks to the Disney audience, but can perhaps reach a bit further. So I like Epcot because it enables 
enables me to sort of broaden the idea that we can make a difference in the world and not just uh, provide entertainment for a day. We can provide ideas for a lifetime. Okay, Don. Well, thank you so much for talking with me today. I know your work is so appreciated around the world by so many people. Um, and I saw the most quintessential quote, I think, uh, on your website, and it was a quote by you, and it said, we're going to need a bigger sky. And I think with you dreaming and creating these shows the way you have been, uh, those skies are going to be filled with some amazing things for years to come. So thank you so much, and, and, and thanks for taking the time to share that with us. My pleasure. So you've heard me talk about the cruise on the Disney Magic that I'll be on from November 3rd through the 10th, 2007. And of course, I've invited you to come along for a week of trivia and fun on the high seas, as we like to call it. But rather than me talk about it again, I want you to hear from somebody else. So this time, I brought Tinkerbell onto the show. And no, I haven't lost my mind yet, but instead, uh, I-, I wanted you to hear more about the cruise from Tinkerbell herself, or at least the person who was the reference model for her, someone that worked with Walt Disney and his animators like Mark Davis, and so much more, Margaret Carey. Margaret is a special guest on the cruise. She's going to be participating and hosting many of the events we have planned, so I want to welcome her to the show. Margaret, my friend, welcome. Well, thank you kindly, Lou. I think this is really going to be exciting. Right? I, I am very, very excited about it. And that's why I wanted you to come on so you can maybe tell some of the people about what some of the things we have planned. Don't tell them too much. You know, just tease <laughs> them a little bit um, because there are really a lot of things that we have, you know, special stuff going on for the group. Well, I want to let them know uh, immediately that uh, tea with Tinkerbell is not your high tea with your little pinky sticking out, you know. (laughs) This is a fun time, and you don't have to drink tea if you don't want, but we're going to sit around and chit-chat and have the loveliest time and answer questions and look out at that gorgeous sea and uh, all of us thinking how lucky we are to be there. Yeah, it's going to be wonderful. And you and I, I've had a chance to hear you speak um, both at different events and had a chance to talk to you one-on-one. And the stories that you tell, uh, whether you're an animation fan or a Disney fan or like me, a Peter Pan fan or a Tinkerbell fan, obviously, are just wonderful. And the chance to kind of get that one-on-one time with you is really going to be something special. Well, I think that I want to really tell people who Tinkerbell is. You know, it's very hard for people to put it into words when I say, what do you like about Tinkerbell? And they stand there and go, uh, well, uh, her, ad, uh, you know, that kind of thing, Lou. And I say to them, yes, but who is she? I think that the word for her is she's beguiling. Whether she's good, whether she's very bad, as, as James Berry talked about her, she beguiles you. She takes you into the adventure. And that's what we're going to do on the cruise. We're going to have little adventures here, there, the other place, surprises. I can join you with a little bit of trivia. Now, I know your work is with um, mainly uh, Walt Disney World trivia, which is just, I- I'm, I'm fascinated with that. But maybe we can even go farther back, like maybe 1951, 1952, and talk about a little trivia there with Mark Davis and Jerry Geronimi, who is a director 
who I worked with, and some things with Walt Disney, and of course his wonderful brother Roy. Yeah, and me being the Peter Pan fan that I am, they just re-released the DVD. There's a new movie coming out. There, there's so much. It's great timing, and like I said, there's there's so much more going on too. We've got we're gonna have trivia games. We're gonna have book signings. You hopefully your book will be out by then. We've got private dining in special locations. We've got special castaway key parties, pirate events. I'm going to do some live podcasting on the ship that I'm sure you're going to be a part of. The people who are putting the cruise together in Disney have some pretty special things planned. We talked about the fact that you're going to be able to participate in these events and get some earned keys. You know, if you win events or you participate, and who knows, at the end of the trip, one of your keys could open up a huge treasure chest that's going to be filled with all kinds of Disney surprises and merchandise. There's stuff for kids. There's going to be little treats from Captain Jack Sparrow. There's going to be treasure hunts, pin trading, so much more. And, of course, we talked also about the chance to win the $500 Disney gift card at one of our private events at the beginning of the, at the cruise. So... There's a lot going on, and it's definitely going to be a lot, lot of fun. <laughs> There's a lot going on, Lou, and I think that you could put it all together that this is going to be one really magical time. Absolutely, and you're going to help make that happen. I mean, the Disney cruises are great to begin with, but again, uh, I, I'm a big fan of what you do. And, and you know, I, I got to tell one thing real quick, because when you speak and when you talk about Tinkerbell and you, you show some of the little things, especially when she was standing on the mirror, you see in the movie, you see the mannerisms in you, and you can see very clearly how you become Tinkerbell and, and when you talk about her. So it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be something special above and beyond all the things that, uh, that Disney has planned and that we have planned. I'm going to put a link up in the show notes and on the website where you can go. You Good. can Yep, and you Good. can get it. A- and I know that it's, it's, uh, they've got to make up their mind pretty, pretty soon because I'm getting all ready. I am writing some stuff that will blow their minds away that they don't even know about Tinkerbell that Mark Davis told me about her. Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to be going to Key West. We're going to go to Grand Cayman, Cozumel, Castaway Key. Uh, it's just going to be a lot of fun. So again, Margaret, thank you. I can't wait to see you in November. I'm going to put links up in the show notes page where you can get more information and get it a free, no obligation quote. And of course, we hope to see you on board. And while we're still talking to the nice people that you're talking to right now, I'd like to send them a little faith, a little trust, and a whole bunch of pixie dust. And I want to wish you a happy anniversary of your 21st birthday again. Oh, thank you. Thank you again for tuning in this week, and I hope you enjoy the show. I also want to thank Matt Hotchberg from MGMstudios.org and Jonathan Dichter from TheVoiceOfMouseTunes.blogspot.com for their fun discussion all about Star Wars weekends. Thanks also to Don Dorsey for coming on the show, and of course, Jared Mathis for arranging and conducting the interview. It's not every day I get a phone call from Tinkerbell, so I want to thank Margaret Carey for calling me this week and coming on to talk about the cruise in November. A big thanks, as always, to you, the listener, for your time, for listening, and always supporting the show. Don't forget to visit the WDWRadio.com website for more information about all the topics we discussed on this week's show, photos, links, older episodes, and more. There you're also going to find links to other friends of the show, but I do want to mention one specifically, and that's Jeff from the TheMeanderingMouse.com, because if you like our Epcot retrospective series celebrating Epcot's 25th anniversary that I've been doing with Jeff, Pe- Jeff Pepper, I think you're going to enjoy some of Jeff's work 
where he takes a similar look at some of the original Epcot attractions. I'm going to link to his uh, site and podcast and point out which episodes specifically cover those topics. On the website, you're also going to find links to our friends over at The Magic for Less Travel. There you can get a free, no-obligation quote for any Disney vacation. They offer outstanding service, which is completely free. They check for discounts on your reservations on a daily basis and have tons of great promotions going on right now. For example, don't forget that the free dining special is still available if you book by June 24th. You can combine that with some of their other free offers, such as their exclusive mini pack or luxury pixie dust pack. Summer annual pass holder rates have been released, Florida resident discounts, and more. So contact them with any questions or trip planning uh, inquiries you might have. On upcoming shows, I have more in the Epcot retrospective series, interviews, trivia, new contests, a ton of your listener feedback to get to, and more. Don't forget that I'm still looking for your input on the next of the Seven Wonders of Walt Disney World, which I announced last week as being the cast members. So I want you to share your stories by calling the voicemail at 206 202 4WDW. Remember, you can also email me anytime with questions, suggestions, or comments at lou at wdwradio.com. Please come by the forums at disneyworldtrivia.com to talk with other listeners and readers about the show. As I say, it's fun, it's free, I'd love to have you come by and be a member of what we consider to be the happiest forums on earth. We're just about to hit the 20,000 member mark in just over three years, so there's lots of fun things going on there all the time. Thank you again for tuning in. Please help spread the word to your friends and family and on other communities. Have a great week. See ya!